welcome to Brews with Andrews, the Lancelot Andrews podcast. Thank you for downloading and listening as we discuss one of his works as well as what he has to say with the challenges facing our churches today in this world that seems to get darker and darker and more and more insane by the minute. So grab a drink, pull up a chair, and let's dive in. I'm Father Michael. And I'm Father Alan. And this is Brews with Andrews. And to begin this discussion, I will be having Voodoo Ranger Spicy Special Release Atomic Pumpkin. <laughs> you never cease to amaze me, man. Uh, happy Guinness Day. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm well, just so boring. Cheers. cheers. Today we are diving into something slightly different than what we've done so far because this material is going to take at least three episodes. So we will start what it looks like will be a three-part series on the Lord's Prayer and what Andrews tries to get us to slow down and pay attention to. Think. That's why he's always telling my boys, think. So anyway, uh, I I think you're going to enjoy this. Discussion on the, the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, it's not. We're not talking heavy theology. No, nah. we're not even pl- placing. You know, I feel like for so long and so many studies I've done on the Lord's Prayer is you can spend so long building the context for the Lord's Prayer within the Gospel narrative that you never actually get around to anything practical. Right, and this is all. This mo- about all this is practical. Uh, what's amazing to me, just uh, the Lord's Prayer itself, because this prayer that taught little bitty rugrats. So you think since the kids learn it and stuff, you wouldn't think it was that heavy towards the worshiping, the liturgy, the Eucharist and everything. And what I love is after we go through all of the consecration of, the, of all the elements for the Eucharist, what do we do at that time? We say the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, and and since the Didache, and I'm an early date guy for the Didache, so maybe 60 A.D. I agree. Christians have been saying the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Yeah. And with repetition, hopefully it really gets into our DNA. And I think the work that Andrews puts into really dissecting the meaning and ramifications of each of these phrases will help us um, to grow up a little bit more in our Father's household. And it's amazing is when you uh, go to visit the elderly and everything, uh, they can be completely out of it, unaware that you're even there. Uh, But when you start the Lord's Prayer and the Creed also, uh, but the Lord's Prayer, uh, I remember doing it a few years ago, a person who was over 100 and uh, their daughter was with me. I told him, I said, watch this. <laughs> we get the Lord's Prayer. And uh, immediately uh, start trying to say it. And uh, so this is a prayer that's deep within all of our heart, our souls, and our minds. So we will uh, delve into it slowly. Uh, but I just, Andrews, well, maybe, I wonder if he, he's got this prayer penned by our Savior, Christ, in behalf of his disciples and his church, unto the end of the world, standeth first upon invocation, then upon certain petitions. 
And then he starts off talking about the invocation and he yeah. dives right in it. So that's pretty much the introduction. Um, to summarize what we will tackle today, we are going to look at our Father, then which art in heaven, and then finally, hallowed be thy name. With these three sermons of 13 sermons total, Andrews teaches on the often overlooked and unconsidered realities contained in the intentional wording of our Father, which art in heaven, and hallowed be thy name. This is a gift from Jesus to us as his both creations and disciples. And so we take it seriously. He's these is very terse. There's not many words. These are the lips of Jesus saying these words. And so it's, it can be very terse, very short. And what Andrews will help us do as we dive in here is unpack everything that goes along. Well, it, this won't be everything, but more of what goes along with each of these phrases. First of which is our Father. And, well, I guess before, he'll start off talking, reminding us of just the benefits of praying. And I don't think many of us... I know I don't, even as a priest, slow down to think of how much we are given in prayer. The privilege that the Creator, God Almighty, Sustainer of all things, both get, lends us His ear and then guarantees that He's going to listen. And um, that's what he starts off talking about. It's not like a great monarch uh, to whom no man would dare presume to talk, uh, uh, but the heavenly majesty grants every man this honor to speak to him. Just think about that for a minute. <laughs> Just the, to be able to talk to your creator, for your creator to have done all that he's done, and you can talk to him. Talk and be heard pro- with the promise that will be heard, and that is so I've never known a Christian who did not feel that internal struggle of wanting to be a better prayer, to take prayer more seriously. <laughs> and... It is that dynamic where I know it, it gets to my own conscience. It's like prayer is the ability to come into, to come before the throne of grace in our time of need to actually receive grace. And yet I'll be like, nah, I'm okay. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> one of the, I always sort of laugh talking about it because Jesus was constantly telling the disciples, pray. <laughs> And I've often thought, being one of the disciples, and Jesus tells you to pray, you have to think, uh, what do I say? <laughs> who, you know, who am I speaking to? And so when they ask Jesus, you know, how to pray, well, he puts it out for them. He puts it out, and the first thing he wants you to know is who you're talking to and what that person's heart is towards you. And so the first thing is our Father. Um, he is he is trying to anchor our trust in God's goodwill and favor towards us, and then of course balances that with that next phrase of uh, "Who art in heaven." But first is His goodwill and favor towards us, and that's what's meant to be in our imaginations as we say "Our Father." And we will get into it, but there's. So much just in those words, it's establishing who he is with us and who we are to him. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, so it's just not like, 
you know, hi, Daddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is our Father. Our. Our father. So, yeah, in that phrase, we'll start moving through here. Um, Andrews will highlight at least nine um, realities that can come to our redeemed imaginations as we utter the phrases, Our Father. How many of you ever stopped and come up with five? Five. <laughs> nine steps. Nine. Uh, yeah, nine steps. Um, and the, fir- the first part that he, w- he will say is a ramification of God being our Father is, first, it demonstrates the love we bear to Him. Um, this is not some distant, disconnected deity off out in Never Never Land right. that you're just throwing something. You're coming because you have learned who God is through Jesus Christ and because you have discovered his love for you, your heart, because you have Christ's spirit within you, learns to say, Abba, Father. And it, it becomes a term of endearment on your part to God. God is so dear to you that you would call him Father. You know, one thing he points out, and I've, uh, when you stop and reflect upon it, he goes, uh, uh, not only are these words what Christians would say to God, uh, but even the heathen that are strangers to this is God's, our, he's our father, he's our creator of all creation. And uh, so I just thought it was interesting, he's throwing even strangers to the church. And, you know, you look at all the religions in the world, they've all got whatever their gods are, whether it's a tree or the sun or whatever. Uh, but even strangers to the church, Christ is telling us that God's calling and he's reaching out for you. Our Father establishing that relationship. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I'd never really taken that in before. Uh, but it's for everybody. Yeah. Well, he, he does have a, a heart for orphans. Yes. So even so even if you haven't <laughs> been brought if you haven't been brought into the family, you are still his children. You're just separated and we're all trying to get our way back. Um, Absolutely. But then here's the other part. So first thing is this phrase teaches us to connect to God intimately and familially. Um, but two, and this I think we all overlook this as Westerners, um, calling God our Father demonstrates the love we bear to our neighbor, the other children of God. If, so If we're both praying to our Father, well, then we're brothers and sisters. Yeah, and so as you... As you first get into this... I'll be the brother, you be the sister. Oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> just just call me Aline. Um, no, it's... The direction here is the summary of the law. Yes. Love God, your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, that's, that's, what, a, of the law. that's what a child does to their earthly father. And likewise, um, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, and in this prayer is the beginning of that restoration to neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I say our father, he says our father, we're supposed to be able to look back at each other and What's go, going on, brother? oh, um, you can't pick your relatives. <laughs> and, and again, this is Jesus teaching his disciples. Absolutely. This is, this is Jesus saying, all right, now you tax collector, tell this zealot, um, right. brother. <laughs> and, and it's heavy. And I, I know I've always stressed that with the kids, uh, 
and actually it needs to be stressed right now with uh, uh, the state of, of, of things in the United States right now. Uh, just saying this prayer brings us together as brothers and sisters, and that is so important. And has a, a very strong benefit for our ongoing sanctification, which is God's will for us. Um, I think we just had that in our lectionary. And it is, and so much of our sanctification is, well, seeing God in our neighbor. And it begins right here. Since Jesus is teaching us, here's what you'll pray, how to pray. Start off with our. This isn't my father. This is our father, a shared connection. And so the household of God and the earthly family can begin to re-solidify and break down some of the divisions that have erected between us. And that's number two. Third thing he highlighted, thirdly, he would say, is knowing God as Father, and this was hinted at at his introduction to this sermon, it assures us of his favor towards us, and it gives us hope. And he also, in that section, he talks about uh, the perfection of God's goodness. And uh, he says, (laughs) he's got written, he is willing... And he is able to perform those requests that we're going to make to him. And we'll get into the type of requests later on, I think, before we end it. Uh, oh, yeah. But, but he, wants, he wants that communication. He's willing to listen to us. And he's able to perform the, the miracles that we see throughout Scripture. So, it, uh, so he, can, he can do it, and he will do it. <laughs> he will do it. And the fourth thing is where he, he does slow down to address the challenges of accepting God as our Father. And he, he briefly deals with it, but what comes to our minds oftentimes with the assistance of the devil is that how can he be our Father, someone who is so majestic, and we be so base? Like eternally majestic being a father to dust and ashes to us (laughs) and so again so as you say our father jesus is saying this is reality don't believe the laws and it's also as you're going to come across is how can someone so holy so perfect and pure be the father of a sinner like me because I'm really good at sinning. And there's a and lot I, of uh, Christians that will, who are weak in their <laughs> faith, uh, but they will think, I am so worthless. I'm so... I'm un- so depraved. Uh, Total depravity. Yeah, depravity. <laughs> Total depravity. <laughs> Don't even go there. It, uh, but I'm so low and he is so high. It's just like I can't communicate. And that's mm-hmm. what he's talking about here, that even the, the majesty of, of, of God, uh, he created us. He knows exactly what we are. He knows exactly who we are. And he knows, uh, you know, for us to get back to him, what we, he knows the roads you're going to have to walk your whole life. And, yeah. Uh, well, and that, this is, again, what, what Andrews is saying is, as Jesus gives us these words as the skeleton of our prayer life, he's trying to nip in the bud those common thoughts that come to the heart of base and sinful creatures that would get in the way of us really connecting and communing with God. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, everything Jesus offers is atonement, at one meant um, with God. And those little ideas can really cut us off before we get going. Yeah, and so as keeps us from going. And so in the first of the address of this, every time we say our Father, you've automatically bypassed um, these issues. Like, we'll, we will address them, especially when it comes to asking for our forgiveness of sins later on. But previously, God knows. Um, and we know that God knows because we've seen Jesus. And if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, and that's his heart. And so it's, let's just get moving. And, well, and that's part of just what Christ offers to us. Uh, beyond overcoming our baseness and our sinfulness, the fifth thing Andrews would say in our saying, our Father, is Christ actually authorizes and enables us to call God our Father because of His work. I mean, we are given an exalted position above patriarchs and heavenly spirits. And and just for... When Jesus gave this prayer to us, he didn't just use that word Father willy-nilly. Uh, he's, he's given the depth, and he's going to tell us what a father does and all that. And uh, So these are very specific ideas, very specific words uh, that Jesus is, is laying on the disciples when he gives them this prayer. And, he's, uh, he's laying on, and, and laying on them and us a new identity mm-hmm. because the... The nature of it, if if God is our Father, then we are His Son. And um, there you come with all kind of relationship. And then you've got Paul trying. You've got so much of Paul's theology that like you are sons of God, be imitators of God as little children. Like this is because we have been restored to God through the unique Son Jesus Christ. We have a unique title and position. To God, that, that others do not. In the whole hierarchy of things, I mean, you want to understand why the devil's so pissed off at us. Um, <laughs> he he wanted that type of position and power, and then here are these little mud creatures uh, being grafted in and exalted, uh, and so from dirt he takes something, and and we'll get into a lot of other things. So. What he does for us that he doesn't do for others. So. Yeah, and again, as I said, we've, we've returned to God through the unique son, and therefore we really do have a unique, unique relationship to the creator of the universe, and that is Father. Again, here is, this is how you're going to connect to God through this prayer, and, you know, it helps transform our, what does it be? Be renewed by the transformation of your mind, Paul and the Romans. Like this is helping us understand just who we are. And and he talks about Cyprian. Uh, he did know, squeeze in pray, that quote. Pray, pray God uh, the name of Father. So we have boldly been told by Christ. Thus, this is our Father. Yeah, it's our Father, and that leads us really to the sixth thing he would say that God as Father speaks of and acknowledges his affection uh, for what he has made. This is really just the goodness of God throughout. He's, he's fathered all create creatures. He's fathered humanity as his unique image. He has, as a father, he has prepared the way back for his fallen children 
And then, of course, as those who are born-again believers, He has fathered the new birth in granting all of us sonship. We are prone or in a position to doubt God's goodness. And this is where the devil really gets us into trouble. And, and this is one of the reasons the devil is so angry. Uh, he's got here, Therefore we have thankfully to consider unto what dignity we that live under the gospel are exalted, not only above the patriarchs in the time of the law, but also above heavenly spirits. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> and so, because certain of the heavenly ranks were not pleased to have brothers and sisters <laughs> elevated to that position, if not higher, that envy, the first thing he does is get us to doubt the goodness of God. Right. And so, be it Adam and Eve in the garden saying, well, if he's your father, would he really keep you from having that fruit? Like, yeah. I mean, is he that good? Really? Don't you really want to be smart? And like, so it's always of this. And Andrews says, step back. God is a father. He is a provider. As St. James would say, the giver of all good gifts. And Jesus, and his when he would be preaching, saying, our Heavenly Father knows our need of these things. It's over and over again. By being a father, it means it is tapping into God's goodness and goodwill to all that he has fathered. And again, so it's just first phrase of praying to him. It's really having our hearts open, the eyes of our hearts open to see just his goodness and creative majesty. I mean, you lose words for it, but he's seven on this list, which is, as father, God's affection toward us is shown to be immutable and excellent. And that's where you're getting into a fatherly goodness and love. That is, we get glimpses of it in this life. Fatherhood gets a bad name because the title falls on people like me and Father Michael here. I mean, you, we have good days as dads, and then we have bad days as dads. And somehow we only remember the bad days when we're under a father. So that's, But we get glimpses of what the true Heavenly Father is and the affection He has towards us. And that unlike our earthly fathers, His goodness is without limit and it never gets drained or have a bad day. So it's always consistently goodwill towards his children. You can think of the parable of the prodigal son. The father always has a good heart looking to the horizon of his child. What you get? Uh, I was just looking at the section uh, where he gets to connection between God and his creation, hmm. between God and us, uh, when he said, Let us make man given us to understand that howsoever other creatures had their being from God by indirect or indirectly, God himself would be his father and fame and frame him immediately with his own hands. So there's a special bond just from, from when he started, when he said that, uh, make man, uh, uh, let us make man. And then secondly, he goes in, when God created man according to his own image, he breathed into him life immortal. He gave him the spark of knowledge and endued his soul with reason and understanding, in which regard it is called 
the candle of the Lord is what he calls it. And then Proverbs we twenty twenty seven. When we were falling and I uh, from our first estate, God now will open to him the door of repentance, which favor hath not hath not vouchsafed to the angels that fell. And so making the devil even more <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, but see, and that's the the thing where he builds on looking at all of that goodness of a father, the heavenly father, and tries and he tries to remind us that God is father. The old term theologically is immutable. It's just unchanging. And so the the goodness of God does not change. It's the same today as it was yesterday and will be forever, which means when Jesus in the gospel says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, the father always looks like Jesus and always accepts us like Jesus. And therefore, and we say, Father, that goodness is always there. The same loving tenderness that Jesus the Good Shepherd showed is what the Father is like and will always be like. And that's never changing. And we'll be tempted to change that perspective when bad times come upon us. And Andrews would tell you that it's God's fatherly love for us is unchanging. So sometimes he might be chastening us, and other times he'll be blessing us. But it's always out of a love. It's out of his agape um, goodness. And it's, the, it's that struggle to find out that God is, God is love, but it doesn't always feel like he's loving. <laughs> well, he, he explains it that the master may cease to be a master so may a servant. The husband may cease to be a husband. So may the wife by means of divorce. But God can never cease to be our father, though he be never so much offended, and we cannot cease to be his sons, how wicked soever we be. And therefore God doth by an immutable term slightly unto us the immutability of his affection. So he's created us, he loves us, he knows we're going to mess up, we're going to fall away. Uh, although he may be disappointed, his love for us will never cease. And uh, I think later on he gets into the prodigal son and, and different stories about that. And uh, so we can't, our inability to follow him does not lower his love for us. He's going to work on us and work with us, and uh, he's going to always be there for us. And so uh, it's established that relationship of two identities, of God and each one of you. So Yeah, well, and I think as, as you moved, I kind of eighthly on this list of things. <laughs> eighthly. Eighthly. Um, <laughs> he starts getting some of those additional benefits of God's affection towards us as being fatherly. One of the things is, is just think about fathers, okay? Um, it doesn't take much to satisfy a father's anger. I mean, we can be rip-roaring angry at our children for being stupid. Um, and, But I let up on being grounded a whole lot quicker than my wife. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you learned your lesson. That's all right. Like, you know you upset me. You know you let me down. You've gone through it. You're showing, 
at the first sign of remorse, I was like, okay, let's go. It's okay. Let's move on. <laughs> like so. Yeah. And he's tabbing into it. It's lighthearted, but there's uh, there's reality there. And like with the Father, there is plentiful bounty of mercy. You know, you, you show you're genuinely trying to make amends. And Father, okay, it's fine. You know, uh, but you think about it, and it has to be that way, because we say over and over, we're so undeserving. If it was true justice, the way we define justice, uh, there's no way any of us would ever get to heaven. <laughs> well, I think, that's, uh, I think that's in the Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis, in that second part of the book where the girl's going before the gods for judgment, right. and she makes the question is, well, will they be fair? And, and they're like, oh, no, 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 child. We, You don't want them to be fair. Um, you got to be careful what you ask for. And, and so, but there's that forgiveness. But the other side of it is the, the idea of an added benefit of us. The benefit of us getting to know God as our Father now and growing in relation to this is that with sonship comes inheritance. And we will benefit from the inheritance he has prepared for Jesus Christ. And so we know that he gives Christ all nations. And then by the time we see the faithful in Revelation raised up to his side, we reign eternally with him in that inheritance. Um, So added benefits to getting to know God as your father instead of rejecting him as father. But that's, we move into kind of the duty and responsibility. Yeah, but also that's where he leads into the, the prodigal son. Okay. Uh, with, where, you know, I will go to my father. And uh, and he writes, he had cast off his father. He had spent all of his patrimony. Yet for all that he resolveth to go back. And his father is glad to receive him. He went and met and entertained him joyfully. Sucks affection doth God bear to his children. That's all of us. Uh, as bad as we mess up, we have to repent and re- return to him. And if you do that with a true repentant heart, uh, he's going to receive you. It may not be just in uh-huh. our books, but to God, uh, for you to come back to him and to repent your sins, that's to make his day. <laughs> well, I mean, technically that is the repentance. Yeah. I mean, to, to accept him as father is to return to what was always meant to be. Right. And so once we've accepted him as Father, and we're drawing near to him as Father, that does have responsibility on our lives. And that's where this sermon concludes the Our Father part, is there are there are dutiful responses that do lay upon us in this. And the first thing is, um, well, if he is our Heavenly Father, our Father, it is... To live as becomes his children and to repent or return to the Father when we haven't. It's the ongoing relationship. And the second is to seek to grow up fully through his glorification. Glorification is the New Testament term. Theosis is the theological term. But it's the being a son of God. And I was trying to think where I had my... My note on that. And this is, Andrew seems to work this into most of his sermons. Um, If we be the sons, we are, after a sort, gods. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, this is is the theosis. You've inherited. Like, 
And this is um, St. Athanasius, I guess. God became man so that we could become God. Andrews is putting us on track to say, look, this is one of the ramifications. If, if, we are the ch- if we are sons of God, then we're supposed to be growing up in um, divine likeness. And this is why he will use the verse then that we, at baptism, we are made partakers of the divine nature um, as the sons of men are men. Yeah, he has, uh, well, we're marked, and he had like three or four different things uh, that he went with. And he was talking about the baptism, that uh, it's a progression that you go through. And and that's why I think he was such a uh, a man of prayer, you know, with, with all of his prayers and everything. And uh, so, and it's also very Anglican. I think he'd fit in very well at St. Michael's <laughs> because... The total dedication to God, and, and uh, uh, you know, I think I use a phrase this Sunday, as a matter of fact, that St. Michael's isn't here just to become part of your religious life. It is here to become your life, and that's what Andrews, he lived his life that way, and this connection with God and the baptism and, and your little gods running around. Well, yeah, I think it's the, you know, it's wrestling people. Jesus didn't save you to go to church. He saved you to be church. Right. <laughs> and so, Very um, good way you know, it's just, uh, and part part of that salvation is, he would say, is res- respectfully reverencing God as our Father. Um, we've all had this conversation with a Father at some point. Um, why? Why do I do that? If, you, if you're going to live under my roof, you're going to live under my rules. It's the fatherly relationship. Mm-hmm. And so Andrews would say a duty of, since the Christian faith is about getting us restored to God as our Father, it means admitting He might know better than you. And so, and then also to realize that all of these benefits that He's discussed apply to every other person that calls Him our Father. We have to allow that to sink in as well, and it helps us to rein in our pride, our tribalism as well as it prevents us from being, you know, overtaken by anger and frustration with other parts of the body that don't function the way we think they ought to function. Yeah. This step. Hmm? Are you... Oh, go ahead. Uh, the, the four steps I was talking about. He said, first, in that we are the... Uh, in fact, we are the price of Christ's blood. Secondly, we have the stamp of the sons of God baptism when we are called Christians, when you're given your Christian name. Thirdly, we are the temples of the Holy Ghost by means whereof he giveth us holy desires and maketh us sorry that we have offended his majesty. The assurance of this is that which the apostle calleth the spirit of adoption, which he sendeth into the hearts of Christians to certify them both that they are the sons of God and may call him father in a double sense, both in respect of nature and of grace, not only by generation, but by regeneration. So we go through all the steps and by the regeneration, you know, it's not just repenting your sins, but trying to to become regenerate and, and to live 
that life. And that's this sermon will conclude with again turning, putting the emphasis on our Father. We we Jesus is not teaching us to pray, "My Father who art in heaven, take care of me," um, but it's it is. Our Father, which art in heaven. So as we say our, it's teaching us to bring our fellow believers, even those who are in open rebellion to God, and our enemies as well before God in our prayers. Because you don't come you don't come before him as an individual. You come together as part of a family of humanity. And you know, and using the word father, you know, it's not my friend that always Stands hair up on my back. What a friend. Uh, he's much more than a friend. He is your father. Well, yeah. And now this would bring us into the second sermon that we'll discuss. And this one is a lot swifter than the hour, our father part. But because someone can get a little too uppity by only dwelling and knowing God as father, meaning connect, you know, connecting to the perfection of God's goodness and merciful nature, Andrews would say what balances this father is the, t- the next phrase, which, which art in heaven. So it says, yes, he is willing, but he is a ruler too and is able. So that's it. But you have to rein in a little bit before you become the spoiled brat kind of prince who's living off the fatness of the land. Yeah, that uh, um, invocate that name of our father. And now it's the heavenly realm, so it's the uh, but not the realm of the, his power. Huh? Yes, yeah, so yeah, the realm of his power. power. I think something that he helped me here with is that typically in my imagination, when I am praying, Father, in heaven, I, when I say in heaven, I'm thinking up there. Like, it's, it's just where my imagination is. It's a separation. And Andrews, the first thing he does is go, so hang on, that's not what the phrase is meaning. This means... This He's means got the power, power, baby. <laughs> so, who has more power? Um, the guy who is living in Matthews, North Carolina, and, you know, a little thousand square foot home, or the guy who's living in that white house in Washington, D.C.? Right. Houses and locations of residence symbolize power. And so, when we say our Father in heaven, we're talking about supreme power and ruling location kind of thing. He actually says we are to take heed that we run not into the error which so confine and compass God in heaven as if he had nothing to do on earth. Yeah, and that's, I think it's because we just think of heaven as up, hell is down, earth is here. Um, This can mess up with us, and that's not what Jesus is introducing us to. This phrase is meant to be an expression of the Father's greatness, his power, his availability, more than a description of the location of where the prayer is being sent. This is not the mailing address on our prayer. Our Father at heaven, um, resident send. It's not there. And it's also there to temper our boldness. As we gain the idea that God is our Father, it needs to balance our understanding of him that, yes, he's merciful, he's loving, he's accepting, he's always willing to look for the repentant, but he's also a powerful ruler of goodness. As the and prophet how, David saith, if I go up to heaven, thou art there. If I go down into hell, there, thou art there also. So 
he's not just restricted to heaven and his heavenly work. Uh, no, and he's it's totally committed to us. And also, he attaches it by saying, "In heaven, not as a place of residence per se, but as a essentially a quality." He would say, "Like heaven, God is immortal. He is unchanging. It's the it's the ebb and flow of life on earth that's always changing and seems like getting worse most of the time." And by putting the Father in heaven, we put him in, a, in an environment of stability and of unchanging sustainability. And that's helping us, again, anchor our hope and confidence in him as fully able, able and capable. Um, nothing can stand against heaven. And so therefore, he will never be overworked or too stressed to carry out our request. Yeah, and we should have confidence in that. He's got, for albeit we love him as he is our father, yet withal we must fear him for as much as he dwelleth in heaven, as we may in regard of his goodness pray unto him with confidence, so withal considering his power, we must pray with due devotion and reverence unto his majesty. So it's establishing the relationship. Uh, He loves us, but he is our father. And that's something, I mean, depending... If you were invited to dinner at my house, you would show up differently than if you were invited for dinner at the White House. Like, there's places... Places have different atmospheres and expectations... And I think that as our prayers are entering into the heavenly realm, and just saying, remember, you you don't storm the gates of heaven um, for a new car, like you know, as as rain in some of our requests, right? You know, it says um, you need to you need to understand it is your heavenly Father's goodness that will receive you. But remember who your heavenly Father is. This is Lord of Lords, God of Gods, all-powerful, almighty, ruler of all things. And so once that has kind of soaked in, we can then move on to like the happier thoughts of heaven. And that's where I think he, he moves into mm-hmm. with, um, he would say that this phrase of saying in heaven, it serves to prepare us for prayer by making us to look upward in our desire. As he moves into kind of sobering us up a little bit, and then it is it is about looking up. This is like, like in liturgy, the lift up your hearts. When we do put our petition in the direction of heaven, it's lifting up our desires to go a little bit more than just the trinkets of hell that seem to plague this world. And from... The upward desires, it also comes to focus us upon asking for heavenly gifts and heavenly blessing. You mean I got to pray what he wants? (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was all about me, man. (laughs) This is, is, again, this is one of those places that desiring the ways of heaven here on earth, um, it's, it's a struggle for all of us. It's hard to pray for wealth and monetary gain if you truly understand what heaven represents. It, uh, you know, uh, the different blessings that God can give, and he talks about uh, uh, 
St. Paul talks about God sends us rain in fruitful seasons. And then Job talks about God sends rain and frost and snow and thundereth and worketh marvelous things. But he, the, the third thing that he will bring us through all of that, whether you're praying for things that are good or things uh, that are harmful to you, uh, he will always bring us to the happiness and he calls it from the realm of a third heaven, uh, the first two were, were realms of heaven. But he's also talking about his goodness is so great is that through all of that, he still has that goodness and that love for us. There's a degree, you know, since the last 60 years, at least on the evangelical side of the church, we've been getting people to pray a prayer to go to heaven. Um, and Andrews is trying to rein us in to say, well, how about you actually just pray for heaven to come to earth now? Mm-hmm. Like, you know what Black it's like. Kingdom gonna, come. Like, yeah. if you're, I think you're like St. Augustine, you know, you know, Lord, for all the things we ask of you, um, give us the desire to put the work in to get it. Right. Um, and so Andrews is, again, this is part of the genius and logic of the school of Christ in this prayer. Know God as Father, know that He's in heaven, and as you allow in heaven to really sink in, it helps us rediscover who we really are. We were meant for heaven. I'm not sure where he goes before he gets into this, but uh, uh, I would think he will get into the, the sacraments for us, feeding us and strengthening us to do what we need to do. I'm sure we can get to daily bread. It's going to yeah. pop up. Yeah, I'm sure. And, but there, the phrase here of which art in heaven, it also serves to beckon us to discover our true selves, which we were meant to be. I mean, we were meant to reside in that heavenly country. Back when the scriptures begin, heaven and earth are one until we reject heaven and there becomes a void, a gap. And so as we come to God and discover his fatherly goodness, we also discover his heavenliness that we were meant for. And as we learn to desire heaven, it begins to actually increase in us a desire um, of wanting to learn heaven's ways. And, yeah. it, and even quotes uh, Zebedee in here, yes, ye know not what. It's, <laughs> uh, uh, he's as an example that we have to, to ask of heavenly things. Uh, we we yeah, we ask for heavenly things, and we learn to desire the things of heaven. Like yeah. we have, we have, because of the last sixty years method of evangelism, we have a lot of people thinking they want to go to heaven, but they've never slowed down. Miserable. <laughs> but they've never slowed down to become the kind of people who will enjoy heaven. Right. And that's what Andrews is saying. Slow down. Look, we're we are addressing our Father in heaven, and so this is supposed to be increasing us increasing in us a desire for heaven. And if we desire heaven, we'll begin to desire to want the Lord's presence. If we desire heaven, we'll begin to desire wanting to live under the Father's roof, His rules. Like This is one of the things that this does not happen overnight, but over that you know, same, same direction, over the long haul, it'll slowly increase that we will desire these things. As we say, um, these opening phrase. And he's talking about that we take our pedig- uh, pedigree from heaven. That's, that's what we're learning to love. We're, we're returning to what we were always meant to be, and that's really where this sermon kind of concludes, is that the phrase serves to remind us of our duty to be heavenly children of a heavenly Father. You know, it was the Jesus told the Pharisees, they weren't exactly 
they were of their father, the devil, who was a liar from the beginning. Um, we can, I feel like a lot of times we have, we claim to be the children of God through Jesus Christ, but it almost looks like one of those old Jerry Springer episodes where, you know, it's just it's like... a TV show. Yeah. You know, back and it's just you'd always have you that. Love our discussions in the morning. You you have that whole breakdown of I'm I'm your mother. You're not my mama. You, know, like, you look just like me. Um, like we we deny the that we'll say that tell oh, the devil's not my father. Well, do you enjoy lying? Do you enjoy putting yourself above your fellow man? Do you enjoy thinking you deserve all the good things at the cost of somebody else? That looks a lot like your father, the devil. And yet, and so Andrew is just trying to say, look, remember, as you learn to claim and identify as a son of God and claim God the Father in heaven as your father, you have to start looking like him. And again, he looks just like Jesus. And so the role of becoming a Christian is having being a little Christ, a little Jesus. And so we, we pray for the grace that heaven will come to earth. And the, we'll get uh, to but that it talks about the, the Father. Uh, therefore, we must seek to be acquainted with the laws for that country <laughs> of heaven where our inheritance lieth, that we may guide our lives according to the same. Lest being rebellious, we deprive ourselves of our own right and be disinherited. And uh, so, yeah, he brings it back to where there is a, uh, it's a relationship. And, uh, you know, we've got to do our part. Uh, God's not going to do it all for us, although he gives us the, the grace to, to, to do that. And, uh, and that, yeah, and that's the opening invocation of this prayer. You have invoked God, Yahweh, the Lord, Jehovah, as a father which you share with your brothers and sisters around the world whose residence and center of power is heaven itself. And so that is the opening invocation. He's going through these, these ramifications. And he says, once you have and have addressed God as such, he moves into a handful of petitions. Unless you have more on the um, heaven. He's got here, uh, Christ, who is the Lord from heaven, did subject himself to the will of God, his Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. And that's bearing the will of things that are heavenly. He, while he lived on earth, did guide himself by a heavenly law, and we that remain on earth must express his image by our imitation of his obedience. <gasps> we got to be obedient, people. It is true, which both our Savior Christ and John the Baptist said, that that is born of the flesh is flesh, and so that that is born of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. But there must be an imitation, and we must set ourselves forward to heaven, to that heavenly country. So, yeah. It goes on and on. Well, you know what my thing didn't do? It didn't man. print. <laughs> Go ahead. Man, he was like, man, that's so short. <laughs> he didn't print one of the sermons. No wonder he got done. But it was on there. I, it's 
Cool. I'm having all kind of problems with printers and Google documents. Right oh, now. he's got problems. <laughs> it doesn't, and it doesn't stop with Google. <laughs> but um, so this first petition, and I know since reading this this sermon of his, which is sermon three of these thirteen sermons on the Lord's mm-hmm. Prayer, I didn't realize how much we address the name of God in our liturgy. Uh, and so he's part of the Anglican heritage and and name the name of God is really central I didn't realize how central to our faith and praxis than anything else I've done in the church but he comes to that first petition and that first thing he asks we ask Jesus teaches us to ask Mm -hmm. is hallowed be thy name and the first thing we do is Um, because he'll make the point, Jesus' name, or our Father's name, is it's already holy, so you can't make it any holier. Um, And so the request then is praying for the ability, our, and our ability to sanctify God's name. And so we are seeking the grace to make holy God in our lives. And that's the first petition to be sought in any prayer, so Andrews would say. And so as, as we, as disciples of Jesus, try to learn from Jesus what we are to seek in prayer, as we mentioned in the last sermon on in heaven, we don't know what to pray. And so the first thing we pray for is this ability to do it. It's a prayer to be enabled to have a reverent regard for God's name. And God's name is essentially God. I mean, so when they build the temple... God says, I'll cause my name to dwell there. Well, what dwelled in the Holy of Holies? God, that's his name. Um, when the children of Israel are going on to the, going, about to go on the Exodus, God says, my angel's going before you, and you better watch out what you say, because my name will be in him, and he will have the power to either forgive sins or hold them against you. It's the angel of the Lord. It's God embodied. And so... The name is God. And so this is lesson one for the disciple is to have a, to be able to truly have a reverence for God's power, ability, everything he is. Yeah. So this is continuing to build on the, the Our Father, the realizing who he is. Yeah, I mean, that's. And that he is God. And so we have what a reverend regard for God's name is, Andrews would say, it is something that we need to realize is that God actually teaches us by Jesus to seek this before any kingdom good. If you do not have a reverence for his name prior to trying to do kingdom work, you're going to end up with what a lot of our churches are doing these days. They have such a kingdom focus, but there's no reverence, and it doesn't do what God seeks to do. You can do all the mission work in the world, but unless you have, if there's no reverence in it, you're doing it for yourself. You ain't doing it for the Lord. Andrews is just saying, look, this is, this is a loaded issue. Way before God has you ask for grace to bring his kingdom and do his will, he says the first thing you've got to ask for is for the grace to have a reverence for God's name. Uh, and and uh, a reverence for his church. It's funny because we had a discussion last night and uh, I was hearing past stories of of problems mainly of uh, at other churches. And, uh, and it's amazing how many of them revolve 
or our money instead of wanting to do the Lord's work. Well, you have yeah, without without a reverence for God's name, right. when you're not afraid of giving God a bad name, right? You 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 end up straying pretty bad, um, and far, <laughs> and far. And it's it's that regard for God's name. Andrews would say the disciple that learns to slow down, connect to God as Father, um, understand that He is in heaven, to connect with God as our Father and heaven, and then to seek His name. That reverence for His name goes back to the Ten Commandments. I mean, that when you bear the name of the Lord, thou shalt not bear the name of the Lord thy God in vain for nothing, as if it doesn't matter. Um, that's what distinguishes true worshipers from the rest of the people who are going to call themselves Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, we're about to come up onto the special months where we celebrate Christ's birth. And you'll see the yard signs that say, put Christ back into Christmas. It's a whole lot easier to put Christ into Christmas than it is put Christ back into the Christians. And so they're going to pretend like they really care about Christ's name for a month. And then after that, it's back to... Going back to... Try heathen ways. (laughs) Yeah. And so what... Because God's name is what conveys holiness. And if you are seeking the Lord's name and to reverence it, then you're in a place of receiving his holiness for sanctification. Um, And that's what you see, and he'll highlight it. And it's what you see in the Old Testament. The places where God causes his name to dwell or abide or be placed on... You see people like the priest or even Paul in the New Testament who God calls his name to be to bear and they are made holy. The places like the house of God, the temple, once his name dwells there, well, then you have the holy of holies, which conveys, it radiates holiness to make a holy place and transform a whole nation. Um, the times of the year. I mean, you have a calendar, Leviticus, is it 23? The church calendar of the Old Testament, which is designed to give you a list of Sabbaths and feasts that bear God's name, His work within the world, and makes time holy. Uh, When you preach in the name of God, like the good prophets, not the bad prophets, and the sacraments, obviously. The Old Testament, you've got the showbread, um, whereas the priest would eat that every week, and they would receive His holiness. Um, and then in the New Testament, it's the Eucharistic bread. That yeah. And we the, get away even uh, just, just within the last few days, I've been contacted. And there's a young man who was a rug rat at one time and went to our youth camps and everything. And uh, for reasons, other reasons, uh, he was never baptized. And he said, now I want to be baptized. And he told his dad he wanted Father Michael to do his baptism. <laughs> and I told his dad, I said, Tell him it's the Holy Spirit that baptizes him. <laughs> and, uh, so it's important that we remember all this stuff, especially as priests, that you know we're simply letting God work that, through us. Isn't that Paul? I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you guys. <laughs> Might have baptized a couple. I've heard about you. <laughs> yeah. And then as we see that that's what the name does. What bears the name, where the name, it makes holy. And so therefore, our regard for the things or the persons which bear the name, it actually demonstrates our estimation of God himself. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have no regard for sacraments, well, since they're the elements that bear God's name, you're showing that you have no regard for God. 
Um, if you have no respect for the saints, the holy ones made holy because they bear the name, they've been baptized into the name, you show no regard for God. Like, this is why this petition is so central. As it transforms us, then we will be able to bear witness to God's goodness and then sanctify his name. Only the sanctified can sanctify God's name. Yeah. You've got to acknowledge his presence. And uh, if you're acknowledging something that's other than what his true presence is, you're really uh, going down the wrong road. Yeah. But, uh, and so because this is so central and we're asking grace to do it, um, there's a there's duties that pertain to sanctifying the name. And that's not hard to see. We have the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not bear the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So you've got to bear it, and you've got to do it differently than just putting it on. Um, and part of that is in this prayer, we're praying not to misuse the name either by the slip of the tongue or just by contempt. Mm -hmm. And then this is, Andrews makes this, I would say it's uncomfortable, but it's true, sins of the heart. So to speak inappropriately of the name is equal to the action of treating God inappropriately. He makes the connection in his sermon here to, um, it's the same relationship to Lust and adultery. Right. You think, well, I haven't committed adultery. I'm good. Yeah. And Jesus says, you ain't got a clue. And so you think, well, I haven't. I wouldn't do anything bad to God. I mean, he's he's fine. Yeah. Um, but if you're actually showing irreverence to the things that bear his name, then it's the same as just same doing it thing. to his face. Dishonoring. So as we say, hallowed be thy name. Give us the grace to hallow thy name. We're, we're praying to use that name rightly. If our Father in Heaven is helping us rediscover our true identity, this is helping us begin to rediscover how we were truly meant to live. And so we're praying for God's name to rightly abide in our hearts, on our tongues, and in our actions. That's no good to have it in, you know, you in your heart and not with your actions. Yeah, you can't just leave it in the pew right. and pick it up you next don't Sunday. You leave it on Sunday. Yeah, uh, this is... Take it with you. Yeah, take this one with you. Um, and then also because of the way this prayer is set up, since we pray our Father, we're, we're praying that others might do this as well, that all places and all times will do this. Yeah, and that lends itself to what you were saying about earlier about the family. Uh, and that's why you, you're part of a church family, uh, because... Uh, when you do slip, it's always nice to have family members around you. That can well, and and even when, say, we drop the ball, we go into, as the Baptists would say, a season of backsliding. Mm -hmm. Every time those who are still faithful pray the Our Father, they're praying for us in this prayer as well. Right. We've forgotten who we are. We're the prodigal for the time being. Um, and this, this is a prayer, as Andrews would say, as we pray for God's name to be hallowed, and we're praying for the others of our family, we're praying that people will come to know his name. So we're praying that those who are still separated from the Father, who are still his children, that they will realize his name. And we also pray that that people will come to profess, worship, and honor God's name appropriately. And then for those who once professed, worshipped, and honored his name rightly, that they'll do it again. That those who went into a season of backsliding, 
will rediscover the goodness of God's name. And then this is where we get into the balance. So as Anglicans, we have saints, we have sacraments, we have high feasts, we have the fullness of the faith, really. Within this prayer, Andrews would say that we're praying that God's name might get all the glory alone. Mm-hmm. So and this, this is that... It's, it's a fine line where it's very easy to abuse the sacraments to because they are means of grace. It's Parts of the church have gone strayward and made them at ends of grace to be sought in and of themselves. As the saints are a means of grace and with their faithfulness, they're supposed to see Christ within them and pursue it, they can become adulterated and become ends of grace. The next thing you know, you've got a cult around a person. And Andrews is saying, look, part of this prayer is asking for the grace to keep the main thing the main thing, which means we want God's name to have all the glory, not ourselves, not other men, and then not those who are the things that bear the name in and of themselves. Just keep us purely focused on you and connected to you. And that is important whether you're in good times or you're in bad times. All of us have had times in our lives where something good was happening. We thought we were so smart and we were so cunning and we were so great. And all of that was being done by God, and we don't stop to, to give him the credit for it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and when times are bad, we think we're, you know, we're, we're depressed and we can't do this, can't do that. And... Uh, we just have to remember that with God, you know, all things are possible and we need to go to him in good times as well as bad times and to glorify his name and to glorify his being, uh, which we hopefully we have in our lives. I guess in wrapping it up to make sure that his name can be hallowed, he does end and that this is a prayer as we seek for grace for to hallow his name. We're praying for people to really be given the fear of God, which is to know their unworthiness. And then because when you do realize that you are unworthy and then yet God still loves you as a father, (laughs) you do realize it's just him. And so you learn to bless God for his goodness and tell others about his goodness and you praise God for their goodness. Like that's where the, the, the fear of God is the beginning of all. Wisdom, I guess, as the Psalms would say, or Proverbs. And to live your life within His goodness. Yeah, and so it's just given the glory and all. Letting that catch, because if if you can if you can grasp your unworthiness, and Lord knows, Andrews, that's all he felt about himself. When you go into his spiritual practices, like let let me tell you, I've always said, and I think it's what I wrote that uh, the closer he got to God, the more he prayed. You can see the more fearful it was to him. Yeah, and he it's, realized, man, I really am unworthy. <laughs> yeah, and so for for in his spirituality, there's a, that uh, that's like the beginning nugget because yeah. when you realize your state before him, you realize how good he really is, and so and how much work you have to do. <laughs> well, and so, and then I guess two more points is we we praise and bless his name for our sanctification in this. Like, you know, it's that it's for the purpose of ongoing sanctification to better serve and sanctify his name with our lives. 
And, re- and we remember that if we have the desire in us now to glorify His name, He's not going to deny us a place in the next life to glorify His name. God's going to give us what we want. And so as we learn to pray and seek for the glory of His name now, we're primed for the next life where, where His name will have all the glory. If we don't actually go through the transformation now of wanting... Of learning. So if we still want to make our name great, right? Um, heaven's going to suck. <laughs> like, but if we learn how to say, no, we want your name to be great, your name to have all the glory, we learn that now, well, then heaven's really going to be heaven because we'll finally get all of our prayers answered. No, that's because you're finally fully giving yourself to him. Yeah. Yeah. So that concludes the first three parts of 13 parts of a sermon. And yes, there is a sermon he dedicates to the word amen. <laughs> oh. well, that's probably 2,000 words. <laughs> so, and, uh, so anyway, let us pray. Yeah. Our Father, who art in heaven, heaven hallowed, hallowed be thy heaven. name. Thy, thy kingdom come, come thy, thy will, will be done, done on earth as it is in heaven. heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.